Liverpool Adventures podcast, this time broadcasting from Jövik in Norway at the Liverpool Festival. This is the biggest Liverpool festival in Scandinavia. Around us we have hundreds of people dressed in red. Lots of uh, you never walk alone hats, no, bucket hats. It's a beautiful sight. But there's also a beautiful sight on the stage, we have to say. Because with me today we have three really fi fine gentlemen, I have to say. I'll have to start with my friend here uh, closest to me, James Pierce. How are you? I'm very good, thank you, Rangud. How are you? I am great. I am so good seeing you here because you have all the latest updates because you've been traveling with the team all summer. No so pressure. we can't wait to hear <laughs> more about that. And next to you, we have someone who so many people admire and I've heard quite a few on this festival say it's thanks to this guy they became a Liverpool fan. He was in one of Liverpool's finest sides and they were eating all their opposition for breakfast. It's Peter Beardsley. Can we give him a big hand? Thank you. Thank you. And then, next to Peter, we have another fine gentleman. He's flown in from the Netherlands. I can't wait to hear your uh, take on Gakpo and uh, our new captain to just mention a few things we'll be talking about today. It's no one else but Dirk Kuyt. Kuyt, Kuyt. You taught me how to say it today. It's Kuyt, isn't it? Kuyt. Kuyt, Kuyt. Kuyt. Forget it. Uh, <laughs> but I know it's, it's virtual one, Dijk. Van Dijk. It there works. How are you doing, Dirk? I'm doing very well. You know, we were on stage before, and just like I said, I'm feeling very welcome to be here. And it's very special to still feel part of the Liverpool family. I just said to a supporter there, it's uh, since 2012 uh, that I played my last game for Liverpool. And you see this, the respect from all the supporters is still there. That's amazing. That's something really special for me. And Peter, you spend a lot of your time in Newcastle. Has Newcastle do, done anything like this? Uh, not in Norway. <laughs> 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 Maybe in Jordiland, but definitely not in Norway. They, uh, now, obviously, most teams have got travelling fans from different parts of Europe. You know, so we, and Dirk will know this, we have a good Dutch element in terms of Newcastle fans. So, but in terms of Scandinavia, maybe not so much. What has it been like so far at the festival for you? Yeah, it's been amazing. The people have been really friendly. You know that because you're one of them. So it's just a special place, obviously, and, and everybody seems to be having a great time. Maybe not now. Now they're listening to us, but, <laughs> but generally they've had a great time and everybody's been very welcoming. There will be some great topics coming up, so they won't be bored. I, I don't think they will be bored. Let's start with you, James. You work for The Athletic. You have been following uh, Liverpool Football Club for so many years as a, as a Reds, but also as a journalist, obviously. You're one of the people who are like the closest source outside of the club. A lot of people trust your opinions, and you also get a lot of stick, obviously, in social media. <laughs> a lot of stick. <laughs> and that's okay, but he's such a fine guy, and you know so much about the club. What's your uh, take coming back from Asia with the team? What have you been thinking about so far? of that journey? Yeah, I think it was a bit of a mix, a mix of things really, because um, I was actually in the Far East with Liverpool a year ago, and it was a pretty disastrous time because players kept getting injured. You know, Oxlade-Chamberlain got injured. I think Diogo Jota broke down in training. Alisson was out injured at the time, and it kind of set the tone for what was a really disappointing season. And I think this time around, you know, touch wood, there's been no injuries whatsoever. Um, 
And there's been a lot to admire about the football so far going forward. I think you know, we talked about it earlier on about the options Liverpool have got in attack now. You know, that, that quintet of you know, Jota and Diaz, whichever you want to go with those two on the left, Nunes or Gagpo through the middle and Salah on the right is as good as anything around. And the goals have been flowing. The, the problem has been further back because Liverpool have done some good business, but I think we'd all agree they haven't done enough business in terms of bringing players in so far. You know, the most glaring thing in pre-season has been the lack of a Fabino replacement. They need another, you know, a new holding midfielder desperately. And they think, I think they need another, another centre-half as well to back up Virgil and, and Canate, uh, who are obviously the first choice. So, um, yeah, I think there's been lots to admire, but I think also there's a fair bit of work to be done as well to, to really fuel that sense of optimism. Do you think, uh, as being so close to the team, do you think those replacements will come? Yes, yeah, I think they will. I think, I think you know, it's been, it's been well documented that they want Romeo Lavia to be the holding midfielder, the 19-year-old Belgium international at Southampton. But they, there's been this standoff because they won't pay the, the £50 million that Southampton want. So they've had two bids rejected um, and those talks are still ongoing. It was interesting that Lavia didn't play for Southampton last night. The championship season's obviously underway. He was an unused substitute. So, um, you know, clearly, you know, they didn't feel he was in the right place to, to be involved in that. We know he desperately wants the move to happen. It's just getting the finances right between the clubs. So I think, I think the, the big thing is they're either going to have to accept they're going to have to go up in the, the valuation and pay what Southampton want, or they need to move on quickly to someone else because... Um, at the moment, it's difficult to know who would, would fill that holding midfield role at Chelsea next Sunday. It would, you know, Curtis Jones has played there in the last couple of friendlies, but you know, we all know Curtis Jones is a more attacking midfielder. He's not a genuine number six. Dirk, what do you think about the, the players we've signed already in this window? Are you happy with them? Yeah, very happy. Um, I, I agree most of it. I think the signings we've done so far, and already we did a bit of signings, during the winter break last season. They are, um, they are very hopeful for Liverpool, but it's just what I um, told in the afternoon when we had the lunch, it's like, I think uh, Jürgen is trying to, to, to find the last two pieces of his puzzle. And it's not very easy these days uh, with the money you have to pay for a proper player. Uh, the money goes up and up, and I think they wait the right moment to invest in the right players. Um, uh, but very happy with uh, McAllister. Uh, also very happy with Dominic, very, you know, potential good players. Um, um, I'm really looking forward to the progression of uh, Gakpo and also uh, Nunez. I think, you know, they will be, you know, developing themselves and only do better than, uh, than, than last year. So, but I agree that we definitely need uh, a holding midfielder. Uh, I think also Trent played a couple of friendlies uh, in that position, but um, I think you can have him there when you have most of the time the ball up against the proper sides, and I think Chelsea is a proper one, then you need other, other type of midfielder there. So the number six spot is for me the most important one. Um, and also I agree with, uh, with the cover-up with the centre-back, maybe even an, a, a right-back, because uh, Trent might play uh, more often on the midfield. What about you, Peter? Have you have you been spying on Liverpool in the preseason games? I wouldn't say spying, but uh, you know I've been really interested because the young boy Bobby Clark, I played with his dad at Newcastle, and it's it's brilliant for him to score his first goal. And obviously, I was in touch with Lee to congratulate him as a family, because that's an amazing achievement. And being so young, so when I and probably when Dirk was at Liverpool, 
youngsters, with all due respect, didn't really get a chance. You know, you had to be a certain age or a, a certain ability to get into the team, where now everybody's talking about giving the youngsters a chance, which I agree with, but how much do you give a chance? Because as a manager, you have to win, certainly at Liverpool, and so it's going to be difficult for him to decide, you know, every day changes in terms of personnel that he's got and also his own plans. Does he have to change them because of what he has? And that's a, that's a difficult thing, but as Dirk has rightly said, if anybody can do it, Klopp can do it. James, you've been around the team. What's the atmosphere like now in pre-season after a really frustrating last season? Is that something that's colouring the mood or have they just shut that door and are looking forward? No, I, I wouldn't say they've shut the door. I think they're using it as fuel to, to fire them going into this season. I think certainly from the player interviews I did over in the Far East, you, that, that kind of topic kept coming up, this feeling of, you know, we fell short last season completely way below all hopes and expectations of fans everywhere. And, we, you know, that kind of burning desire to put things right. And, um, you know, I think there's good reason to believe they, they can and will do that because I think it was important to finish last season well, although it was too little too late in terms of the Champions League places. You know, at least to go 11 games unbeaten and restore some positivity felt important going into the summer. And then, you know, there's been a lot of changes. I mean, I can't really remember a summer quite like it with... Know, six senior players moving on. Um, you know, four we expected with their contracts running out, but you know, rewind a month and no one would have expected to lose Jordan Henderson and Fabino. So there's been a degree of upheaval, but I think Klopp, Klopp was in really good spirits. I think there was times last season when you saw that I think you know he, that the pressure was having an impact, and uh, I felt the full, full force of that a few times myself in in press conferences. And uh, but you see him now in preseason. And he has got his mojo back. You can see he is bang up for this. Because I think, you know, he, 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 this is like a second team he's building now. Like, he had this first iconic team that won everything. And now he's trying to build a second one, that, you know, another trophy-winning machine. And, and he's never had the chance to do that before. Because when you look at where he's been previously, you know, Dortmund, he kept losing his best players. Um, so, you know, to, you know, Bayern would obviously come and buy them off him and... So I think, I think that's exciting for him, the fact that now he's building something new and it's just a case of trying to make things gel really quickly because that's, that's the only problem with lots of changes. Too much change you know, can be difficult because you can find yourself in transition and no one wants another transition season. Peter, you've, you've played in and you have uh, coached so many teams over the years. Um, what is the most important thing to remember as a team when you go through a huge change in the squad like, like this one? You lose your captain after so many years who, who, who led them to win everything. What happens then internally in, in, in a player and, and in the team? Yeah, so having played with great players, and that's a, a privilege that you have at Liverpool, you're always playing with great players. So, But as you said, the transition, the change, it's almost a part of the club. So every year something changes in the personnel particularly. So, you know, as James just said, you've lost great players, but Liverpool don't buy bad players. So what I mean is they will be ideally replacing them with even better than what they've gone. You know, not always possible, but that's what Klopp will be thinking. You know, and obviously they've got money to spend. So hopefully if they spend the right amount of money on the right players, you know, the Lavia thing, you know, it sounds stupid to say 10 million is not a lot of money, but... 
it, it, it almost isn't now in the modern game. So I think that will get done. You know, the fact that James said he didn't play last night, unused substitute, that probably tells you Southampton are sell. So I would say I think they're in a good shape. You know, I think obviously Monday's important, last game to get everything in place for next weekend. James was mentioning that Fabinho and Hendo has left, and, and it came as a huge surprise to me as well. I don't know about you, Dirk. Did it surprise you? Um, well, you know, something needed to be changed at Liverpool, and we all know how important uh, James Milner and, for example, Jordan Henderson have been for Liverpool Football Club. I think uh, I'm not ri uh, wrong if I say they were the leaders in the dressing room. I think Fabinho was also a very experienced player. So something not only on the pitch is changing, uh, but also in the dressing room. And in terms of Jordan Henderson, um, you know, it's, it's quite funny because uh, the time I left the club, he took my position. And I was not quite happy with the feeling not playing every game anymore. And somehow I saw Jordan the same. You know, he was the captain, very well respected, but he wasn't not playing week in, week out, not every game anymore. And that does something with, with players. So I think it's the right uh, moment for Liverpool and Jordan, you know, to, to say goodbye to each other in a very difficult way. And of course, you know, people, you know, have their doubts about moving to Saudi Arabia. But what I said before, you need to respect players, you need to respect people for their decision. But I, I think it's good for the team that there's a change that gives opportunities to other players to step up to take the leadership in the dressing room. Um, and I think it's a good development, but it's a very interesting one because people forget in football how important leaders are in the team. We got Jurgen, he's the leader of our club, but Jurgen is also leaders in the dressing room. So I think there's a big step up now for, for uh, Virgil van Dijk, for, for Trent. They need to step up and they, they need to take over that leadership. It's a natural thing, but not an easy thing. So what would be your advice now to Virgil? moving forward into the new season starting very soon? Well, first of all, these days it's very important that he gets back to, the, uh, to his performance where he was. And, uh, and that's already a very hard thing because people forget how tough it is to come back from a very difficult, tough injury. And he came back very quickly. In the beginning, I thought he did very well, but people forget there was also a World Cup during the, the, winter, uh, the winter time. So he played a lot of games and he couldn't get it level that he had. So first of all, I hope you know, that he had a good rest and that we will get back to his best. You know, that's already a kind of leadership because you know, it, when he was at his best and when Liverpool was winning trophies, he was an absolutely leader in defence. So once he starts to do that, then you don't even have to speak many words on the pitch, then the rest will do itself. And Trent as vice-captain, uh, Peter, thoughts on that? Surprised. I can't lie to you, <laughs> I was surprised. But to be fair, as Dirk just mentioned, obviously two of your big leaders have gone in terms of the two midfielders, Fabinho and, and obviously Jordan. So that makes a big difference because obviously I think, I may be wrong, if Fabinho had stayed, I would have thought he'd be the natural one. But that's the way football is. But but yeah, I, I would say that obviously, as I see it, Virgil will run everything. But I was privileged to be in a, in a team with Alan Hansen who did exactly the same. So anything that ever happened in, in our dressing room, he was the leader. And, and even if you wanted to do anything, you had to go and ask him. 
it wasn't you could do anything behind his back or whatever. So I think Virgil obviously has got that ability. There's no doubt about it. He's an absolute superstar when he's ready and firing, as Dirk just said. But for us to have Alan, if anything you wanted, you went and asked him. You know, he might say, then go and ask the manager, but he might also say, don't waste his time. And that's what football is, and that's why a captain is such a major thing. And Kenny very rarely came into the dressing room other than on match days. So it's a different vibe now, the way football is. But Virgil hopefully will get back to his best because, you know, superstar in terms of football. And it's great to watch his style and the way he pings the ball about. Dirk was talking about Steven Gerrard. I watched Virgil play, certainly before he got injured. He was doing that, you know, and the ball was in your, your path as you ran. You know, he didn't have to change stride when you were running onto a through ball. And that is a skill that's hard to develop. Do you think, uh, James, that getting the captaincy for Virgil will motivate him more or will it put him under more pressure now that he needs to find his form again, as Dirk is saying? No, I, I, think, I think he'll embrace it and I think it'll bring out the best in him. I thought, I thought some of the criticism of him, of him last season was way over the top. I know he got a lot of stick, didn't he, in, in, in Holland? And yeah, yeah and I, I don't think it was right because um, I agree totally with you. You know, he wasn't at his best, but even when Virgil is not at his best, he's still one of the best defenders in Europe. And uh, the criticism he had, especially in the Dutch team from the likes of Marco van Basten, wasn't right because the people in Holland expect something else from him um, in that team, and it's not right to to judge him on that. So I I, I didn't agree with most of the you know the, the Dutch analysts. Um, actually, I thought Virgil was playing quite often very well, but he wasn't the same yet. And that's what I said. It's not not easy to come back from an injury. It's not easy to play in the middle of the season a World Cup, especially if you have been coming back from a from a very tough injury. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, with the, with, the, with the captaincy, he's already the captain of, of, uh, of Holland, also with the criticism that, you know, give you the experience as well. It will help him. And if he can lead the team and if he can get back at his level, you know, he will help Liverpool a lot as he did before in the past. Yeah, definitely. And I think, I think what people ignore as well is the fact, you know, the centre-backs at Liverpool last season were exposed so much because the midfield at times was non-existent. It disintegrated. Fabinho, who'd been outstanding for the first four seasons of his Liverpool career, you know, the drop-off in him was bigger than a drop-off, I can't remember, a, a player like it who's been at such a high level for so long. And Thiago and Henderson as well had difficult seasons. So, so I think, yeah, fixing that midfield will make life a lot easier for Van Dijk and Canate this season. And I think it was, it was definitely the obvious choice, but also the right one, I think, in, in terms of command's complete respect from everyone in that dressing room. You know, tough act to follow because Jordan Henderson was a fantastic leader. But yeah, he's definitely the right man. And I, I like the fact that Trent has been given the vice-captaincy because I think, I think that's succession plan. And I think he will, he will be the next captain of Liverpool Football Club probably two, maybe three years further down the line. And again, I think, I think he'll, you know, it's his club. He's been at Liverpool since he was five years of age. So, you know, that all, I know it means a lot to him to have the vice-captaincy and to lead the team when Virgil's not there. So, um, yeah, I think, I think it's exciting. I, and I also think it's quite shrewd by Klopp adding Mo Salah to the leadership group they've got because there's five members on that. You've obviously got Van Dijk, you've got Trent, you've got Andy Robertson and Alisson, and now Mo Salah as well. Because I think it just gives him that extra bit of responsibility and also shows him like, how much you value his input off the pitch as well as on it. 
one guy, one guy that is uh, has been blossoming at the end of last season, who had like a bit of a maybe like a little bit of a slow start, but you can't really blame him. Is Gakpo, and he was just playing better and better um, as he as he went along. What is it? What is his background uh, back in the Netherlands, and and how do you rate him as a player? Well, I, I rate him very highly as a player, um, but it's 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 not easy to uh, to come from the Eredivisie, it's the Dutch league, to go to the Premier League. It's it's a quite a big step up, and normally when these kind of players arrive in the Premier League or arrive at Liverpool Football Club, they get some time, you know, to settle in. But uh, Cody didn't have the time because there were too many injuries, and he played almost every game, you know, and sometimes. He, he showed wonderful skills, wonderful goals, for example, against Man United. And sometimes people are expecting more from him. But I think this experience of six months with good games and not so good games will help him you know, to be even better uh, next season. So I expect um, a lot from him. Um, I was very happy to see the great goal against Bayern München. So hopefully he can have a kickstart at the beginning of the season. But uh, yeah, just like, like him, but also Nunez, these guys, Diaz, back on his uh, best. You know they will they will get the best out of themselves and also with you know they, they having the positions double now so that will help for sure as well. And can I sorry can I just jump in there because I had the same problem. So I, my first six months at Liverpool I was shocking. I was lucky to stay in the team and I really mean that. So I'm not negative about it. So wearing the number seven after Kenny was like a big big thing for anybody. But for me. To go to Liverpool, and you'll have heard yesterday, I scored only four goals before Christmas and really was lucky to stay in the team. But because of Kenny's loyalty and obviously his own decision to break the record to buy me was like so important for me as an individual. You know, I used to go into his office without anybody knowing and have meetings and talk about what I needed to do. And he was, he was like amazing to me as a person. And that confidence that he can give you, even though he can't play for you, you know, he taught me something that I would have ever, never known, but it was a big change in my football life, how to basically know where the defender is by the shadows on the grass, as in the sunshine floodlights. So when you play in England, it's either sunshine or it's floodlights. <laughs> so he taught me how to realise where the defender was because of the long shadow or the short shadow, depending on which side. And that changed my game and my life as a footballer. Wow. It was an amazing thing. So it took him two minutes, and I don't mean to be critical of that, but it, it, like to him it was obvious. To me, it w wouldn't have had a clue. And it was a special, special thing in my football life. Fantastic. Thank you, Kenny. <laughs> and then you really were on fire, you know. The, the, your, you clicked as a team. Do you think... Uh, that the fact that Klopp has sticked with uh, Gakpo, even though he's had a little bit of a slow start, is giving the same effect? Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, obviously Dirk knows him better than anybody. You know, obviously he's come from the Dutch league, as he said. And, and to be fair to him, you know, he looks like a proper player. So when you're a proper player, it doesn't always work for you. But you can see things, even when he's maybe given the ball away, what he was trying to do, and then sort of a month from now, that thing that he tried will work. And I, I really like him. So when he first came, I thought he was a great signing, and I haven't changed my mind. And he's so fast too, how he runs with the ball and how he runs through. No, really quick, and, and we forgot that he's also still a very young player. And Liverpool has a few players in the team now who are very young. So once Jurgen gets his team right, 
and he's you know uh, hunting for his uh, for his for his uh, new trophies, then he can also keep this squad for a long time. You know, there are a few players who are in their 30s. I think uh, Virgil is 31, but there are also uh, a few players who are very young, and they can develop not only as an individual but also as a team. So. Yeah, in my opinion, just where we started this um, uh, this podcast with, is that we need, like, the team needs one or two players who will fit in this team, and then it will happen, I think. If we look into the crystal ball now, based on all we've been talking about, James, what are your hopes for this season? I think it's really difficult at the moment, because as, as Dirk said, it feels like there's, there's unfinished business. I think if Liverpool had signed a holding midfielder, if they'd signed another centre-back... I'd be sitting here saying, well, there's no reason why they can't go and potentially push Manchester City and challenge for the title again, because that's the level they were at, you know, it, you know, before you take last season out of the equation. I think, I think now it's a real unknown, because we don't know who's going to come. Is it going to be Lavia? And if it is Lavia, you know, and if Liverpool do end up paying the money, you know, he's still so young. He's only 19. He's only played one season of, uh, you know, of top-level football, and he was part of a team... They got relegated. He actually had a personally a very good season, hence Liverpool's interest. But it's still, you know, the talk before about Gagpo and the and Peter himself talking about the pressure of playing for Liverpool and having to adapt to that. So it, it's probably unrealistic to think that someone like Lavi is just going to come straight in and light the place up. You're going to need to be patient. But um, yeah, I think as long as they do, you know, add two more players to that mix, and there's absolutely no reason why Liverpool can't be back competing for the biggest prizes again this season. I like that. Do you think, Peter, that we will uh, clinch that one trophy that Jürgen Jürgen <laughs> Jürgen hasn't got in his uh, cabinet yet? He hasn't got the Europa League, so in a way, it's quite fitting that we ended up fifth and uh, get to go and get that. Do you think that will? Happen? I think this season's going to be massive for a lot of clubs, obviously. But I think the fact that Chelsea now have changed the manager and Tottenham have changed the manager, you know, they obviously were two poor teams by their standards of old. So I now think there's three, and obviously the, the top four as from last season. Now there's seven teams trying to get in the Champions League, in my opinion. So I think it'll be difficult, but I do expect them to be in the top four, maybe third, fourth, but I honestly think they'll be in the top four this time around. But as I say, Chelsea will spend a lot of money. They will expect to also be in the top four. And who else? Well, Newcastle, obviously. Obviously, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they've been spending. <laughs> yeah, yeah they, they're big spenders, but, you know, as Dirk often says, you've got to buy the right players. So that is a, a difficult thing, you know, but also, and Dirk would know being in teams that have been transitioned and changed, if you're in that team, you don't want to be out of the team. So when you buy a player, the player that comes in, he always knows who he's going to replace. But if you're the person that's likely to be replaced, you're not happy. So it's a frustrating thing, but it's a big thing. But uh, I think, well, I think the, the top four and five with Liverpool, I still think it'll be them will be the top five. In what order, I don't know. The Newcastle situation, because of Champions League that they haven't had for a while, you know, 20 years now, amazing for them. But what do they do now? Do they try and get in the Champions League in terms of the league? Or do they try and get out of the group stages? It's a big dilemma for them. But either way, the Geordies, as you know, will be very happy. Who do you think will be top four, Dirk? Well, well, I definitely think Liverpool will be there. But it's such difficult to say where teams are at now at the moment. Because 
we have to wait until the 1st of September while we know how the squads will look like for every team. Uh, to some teams, you know, in the Premier League, for example, Arsenal and City, they already look properly good. I think Newcastle will be there. But like we said, there are, will, will be seven teams challenging for Champions League. And we forgot that I think Jürgen thinks the Europa League is a very important uh, uh, cup to win. But it gives you also a Champions League spot. So it gives you an extra opportunity. So um, they have to, to go for, for uh, Europa League to win it. And if they win it, it can give them a great boost and also not the pressure of have to be there. Because I think the difference between finishing in the top four of being seventh is not so big. And if we can buy that two players where we are talking about, maybe you can even competing with the first spots. So that's football. It's a small detail. That's what Rafa always said to us, can make a very big difference. And James, it's quite fitting that the final is in Dublin. What a party that would be if Liverpool make it to the final of Europa League. Yeah, it would be amazing. I mean, I've been to, to events in, in Dublin before. With, you know, Liverpool have got a huge fan base over there and obviously only a short trip across the Irish Sea for, for all the Scousers as well. So, um, yeah, that would be, be some occasion. But as, as Dirk said, you, you have to take it seriously because it is, you know, we mentioned then all the teams, how competitive it's going to be for the top four. Winning the Europa League gives you a second potential route back into the Champions League, which has to be Liverpool's main target for the season, just getting back amongst Europe's elite, because we know with Liverpool's business model, they only the owners don't put their own money in. They own, the club has to live within its means. So, you know, missing out on the Champions League does have an impact, and it, you know it has had an impact this summer in terms of money available to invest. So, um, yeah, he'll 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 definitely take the Europa League seriously. And I think the nice thing as well, I think the the group stage will give him the chance to rotate a bit. I think we'll see someone like Ben Doak, who's been one of the stars of pre-season, that's such a exciting, gifted young right winger and you know, he couldn't ask for a better person to be learning his trade from than training every day with Mohamed Salah. So, um, you know, I, th I think the group stage will provide opportunities for people like him, maybe Connor Bradley, uh, right back, who unfortunately had missed out on the tour of Singapore due to injury. But um, you know, Bobby Clark's another one, whether they decide to send him out on loan or potentially just keep him as a, a squad option. So, um, so, yeah, and I think, I think as well the Europa League takes you to different places. I think as a as a fan and as a player and a journalist as well, it's you know it will it will be some exciting new destinations. So it's not where we wanted Liverpool to be this season, but yeah, you've just got to embrace it. I have one more question for the three of you um, because, as you might hear on this podcast, the party has started here in Jurvik in Norway, and it's going to be a long and fun night, ending with the boss the boss night boys um, on the big stage eventually. Um, but before we end, I have. A different question to you, and then in the meantime, you two can think about this. I'm going to ask you two, what is your greatest Liverpool memory? It can be a fun one, a sad one, an inspirational one, anything. That one thing that makes, you know, your, your, your thoughts come back to, something that meant extra much for you. So while you think about that, I'm going to ask James. James, what is it like to be such a public... Um, journalist within the passion of football because I mean there are a lot of we all we, we all think we are experts don't we we all know better than Klopp from time to time um, and we have less filter on social media so what is your life like you know being that guy who is having so many opinions and <laughs> facts about a team we all love or even god forbid hate what is it like 
It's a massive honor, yeah. Yeah, it's um it's what I dreamed about as a, you know, as a as a teenager really when I decided that was what I wanted to do and I was I was covering non-league football in the southwest of England when I first started out as a journalist and I've been a Liverpool fan since I was four or five years of age. My aunt was a scouser, bought me a shirt and a scarf way back then, you know, first, you know, iconic Liverpool team I remember watching growing up. Peter was a part of it, so slightly surreal for me to be sat here next to him today because, um, yeah, if, if you didn't get to watch Peter Beardsley uh, when he was around at the time, just uh, have a look on YouTube because he was unbelievable. I know Bobby Robson, the England manager, said he belonged in the same bracket as Maradona and, and Johan Cruyff and uh, compliments don't get much bigger than that and um, yeah and even when, when Dirk was at Liverpool 2011 I started out as the, the Echoes Liverpool reporter and um, Dirk was a massive massive help to me because um, yeah when you're new to something and you haven't really got much of a clue what you're doing and you're waiting around in corridors outside changing rooms when Liverpool have just lost away from home or something and you know your boss is going to be demanding a back page story for the next day and 15 players say no chance when you ask them to stop and give you two minutes and this guy would always stop he would uh, he'd always give me two minutes so I'll uh, I'll always be grateful for that Dirk when uh, when I was starting off so um, yeah you, you get ups and downs and obviously it's much more pleasant covering the club when times are good because when things are positive everyone wants to talk when things are going dreadfully no one picks up their phone and answers your calls and that's just the way things go, but um, yeah, I'm very, very lucky to do what I do. So, Peter, we'll start with you. Peter Beardsley, what is your best or strongest Liverpool memory? So, I'm going to be really cheeky and I'm going to give you two. So, <laughs> the reason I'm going to give you two, because I nearly jumped on the stage before when Dirk was talking about his Man United hat-trick. Because I was lucky to do the same, so but mine was a bit easier than his. So, so but you sure? yeah, <laughs> but but the other one, and it's sad in lots of ways, and I, I don't mean that in a bad way. So I don't want people to be negative about it. But how proud I was to not be a part of Hillsborough. People are sadly losing their lives, but the reaction of the people of the Liverpool, as in Kenny in particular, obviously, and rightly got a knighthood. But the way the people, red and blue, reacted in the city at that time was something that sounds stupid to say you're proud of, but it was something that was so amazing that it will live with me forever. You know, my, my son was six weeks from being born, my first child, and so it was just like unbelievable, the reaction of the people to each other, and it'll be something, as I say, every day I think about it, genuinely I do. It's not just to be nice, I really think about it every day and how special the people of Liverpool were red and blue. It was something that will always be there. And finally, the last question of this podcast. Uh, Mr. Dirk Koit, what is your... See, I, I'm getting your last name wrong, but I, I'm so close, though, as a Norwegian. So close. But we're practicing after, because I'm going to bite him after, and then I can practice. Count! 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 See, that's a great idea. I'll just bite you when I say it. How many practice do you think you need? <laughs> the, the, the night is young. <laughs> the night is young. <laughs> but what is your best uh, or strongest Liverpool memory? Well, I think it's very difficult to pick one thing, but I will try and 
for me, uh, the Champions League nights were the best nights on Anfield. I think the atmosphere, you know, even when I was a young kid, I watched Champions League football of Liverpool and you can feel the atmosphere through the television. And then once I was a Liverpool player myself, we had many great Champions League nights, but that night uh, against Chelsea, I still remember that Rafa was sitting on the ground and Mourinho was standing next to him and we win by penalties and we reach the Champions League final. That, that moment, being together with the players, with the staff, with the supporters, is something I never ever gonna forget. That, that atmosphere, I never seen it in my life, never anything anywhere else. Can I just say one more thing before? Of so Dirk and I have been looking to play the best game in the world. But the thing that you, most of the things that we've done on the football pitch, you can't buy to do. You can't pay to do this or that. And that's what, why we're so privileged to play for one of the best teams that there's ever been. But to be a part of this brilliant sport. And as I say, the things you do, people say, oh, I'd love to do that. But it doesn't work like that. You know, Dirk was talking about how hard he worked as a kid to grow up and never stopped on a pitch. And that is something that stays with you. You know, and in life, and obviously you look at how he looks now, he looks better, and I don't mean to be cheeky. I can't talk about the way I look, but obviously, but, but to you be fair, the way he looks physically, he could still play. Good, absolutely. Should we call clock? Should we call clock? <laughs> Can you play as number six? Uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> He can play in any position. Ask, ask Sammy, I can. <laughs> Sammy Lee, are you doing a little, um, a little comeback as well? If we need another number six to sub for that number six. <laughs> He'll come back as number 26. Sammy Lee shouts from this lovely crowd in Jervik, Norway, at the Liverpool Festival 2023. You guys have been an amazing audience. And for everyone who's here now, you can find this podcast next week on any platform basically that does podcast and it's obviously free it's called liverpool adventures please follow us or subscribe so you know when our episodes are out and i have to just say eventually um i wish you three could be on my podcast every week but then we would have to ditch uh, uh, david fairclough who's always with me on the show which would be harsh but we can add another microphone and that would be my dream team and sammy you are always subbing in as well on the podcast. and So we'll have to make six microphones then. Oh, we will have so much fun every week. So, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Rangenhill Lund Ansnes, very international. Um, and I've had the pleasure of hosting this Liverpool Adventures podcast live on tape from Jövik, Norway. And I can't wait already for next year. We'll have to give a big hand also to Jaran and Johanne and the rest of the team of Liver Birds Jövik who's doing this every year, working so hard. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.